0: See you guys, Lake Point family. No, if you guys got all right, man. There we go. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, Uh, man. Let me just say, it's so good to be back with you guys. And I I do just let me. I just want to say this. Today is my 39th birthday. All right, man. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, you know, I know all of you were thinking, man. I thought he was much younger, much younger. Uh, But uh, I yeah, I do just want to say, man. I am doing what I love to do with the people I love to do it the most on my birthday. And so, man, thank y'all. So I just love y'all so much. Uh, good to be here. If you got your Bibles, head over to John chapter 21. That's going to be today. And uh, while we're turning there, let me put on my leader hat and hit a couple things. Here's why I'm hitting this, because I believe that clarity produces unity and that churches move at the speed of unity. So let me hit two things real quick. You just heard in LP News that in two weeks on January 16th and 17th, we are starting at the movies. We are very excited about this. And here's what I want to do. If you're new to Lake Point, and you're like, ah, sounds weird. Uh, just track with me. It's our highest attended a series of the entire year. And l- let me remind you why we do this, because when you lose your why, you lose your way. So here's why we do this. Because at Lake Point, we will, here's what we say, we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. And in order to reach people we've never reached before, we've got to do things we've never done before. And so what we're doing during this series is each week we take a big popular movie, and, uh, and we use the movies to illustrate biblical truths. And I just want to, again, I just want to, you know, defend it. Is Guys, this is what Jesus did. Jesus told stories that we call parables that were popular stories in his culture, and he would use them to help people see spiritual truths. So we're going to do that. We're have a lot of fun doing it. we have the lobbies all decked out. Your kids can come and meet all their favorite movie characters at all the campuses on your way in. We got Coke and popcorn for you, you know, every week of the series. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's your best chance to invite somebody that doesn't know God yet. That's your best chance all year to invite somebody. So heads up on that. Now, there's one other thing that's happened in that week that's kind of a big deal. Let me, let me get it right here at this camera. Guys, that week we are launching our brand new North Dallas campus. Here we go, man. We're excited about it. So we got it, got it rolling right up here. I saw the building uh, this week. Looks absolutely incredible. Now, here's what I'm calling you to do, man. You need to know this. If you're a Christian, God did not just save you and then it's done. He saved you so that he could send you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he, caught, he saved you to send you. So some of you guys, like you may have been around Lake Point. Lake Point is a very missions-oriented church, and you may have seen us doing stuff in other countries or planting churches all across America, and something may have stirred in your family's heart to go, oh man, I would so love to be a part of planting a church in a place that needed to reach people for Christ, but I, but I can't move because of my family and my job. <clears throat> well have we got an opportunity for you, okay? Because what you can do is you can essentially be an internal church planter helping us plant a church, plant a campus in a part of Dallas that desperately needs it. So here's what I'm asking. I'm hoping that a few hundred... I'm making a very bold direct ask, a few hundred people from our church that you would commit to being uh, on the the campus launch team for the North Dallas campus, and commit to attending, giving, and serving there for the first six months of that campus launch, so we can get that sucker rolling and and be reaching people uh, for Christ down there right at the corner of—I can't remember the highway's names, I still feel new to Dallas—somewhere really popular in Dallas. So that's where we're going to be. All right. So that'd be awesome. If you would be willing to do that uh, or are just interested, you can text the word LAUNCH to the number 20411, and we'll get your questions answered. All right. Here's where we are. We are in the fifth week of a series that was so awesome, I just wanted to continue it, that we are calling Shoes, where we're looking at Jesus' encounters with different people in the Gospels uh, through the lens kind of of, you know, shoes. And I'll get to that here in a second. Now, today uh, we're talking about—there's a lot of fishing going on in today's story. And uh, I just need to do something to kind of introduce the passage. I, I, I like to fish a great deal. Um, there is a pond within walking distance of our house stocked with these big old largemouth bass. That's like, that's where, that's my happy place. And so I want to show you something that kind of helps illustrate something for the passage. So a couple weeks ago, I pulled this guy out of there. This is my biggest catch out of the pond to date. Man, all right, man. Y'all are great. That's, thank you. I, man, I, I feel... I feel so proud right now. Thanks, man. You're the only service to do that. This was, a, this was my 5.07-pound bass, not 5 pounds, 5.07 pounds. I want credit for that. And in this picture, you know, I held it way out there, so it looks real big for the camera. That's what you—you you know, you got to do that kind of thing. So there's this guy. Now, <clears throat> Now, what does that help us understand from the passage we're looking at today? <clears throat> Absolutely nothing. I just want to show the picture of the biggest fish I caught and that thing. So, uh, nothing there. Now, I do want to say, he didn't know I'm doing this, I also got a chance to fish with our firewheel worship leader, George Hornock. He also caught a monster, just a monster out of the, you know, I mean, just, yeah, give it up for George. We're so proud of you, buddy. And uh, (laughs) now here's, we're talking about a fisherman today. And as far as shoes go, we're talking about a fisherman who came to a time in his life where he thought that it was time to hang up the shoes. Now, if you're familiar with uh, athletics at all, that's an idiom or a phrase that we get. And and what an athlete means when they say it's time to hang up the shoes, what they mean is it comes time to retire. And whether it's from age, injury, or failure, they realize my career is done. My playing days are over, and it's time for me to transition from being in the game to in the stands. And when they do that, what they'll say is, man, it's time for me to hang up the shoes. Now, here's where that idiom came from. Uh, Shoes is like the most important part of an athlete's gear. Uh, 1990s NBA jam, the big dunk, the the commentator would either say, boom shakalaka. Or there's like five people who get what I'm saying, but that's okay, because I'm having fun. Or he would say, it must be the... Shoes. Man, if you, if you knew that, we could be friends. That's it. Must be the shoes. When Benny the Jet Rodriguez had to get the ball from, be- from the Beast, he needed a pair of shoes, PF Flyers, that could make him run faster and jump higher. And so what an athlete does is they keep their shoes in a place where they can grab them real easy so they can get on the floor and into the game quick or practice. But when it comes time for their career to be over, whether it's because of uh, age, uh, injury, or, or failure— They realize it's time to to hang up the shoes. And when they hang up the shoes, that's as if to say, that's it. Playing days are done, out of the game, into the stands. Now, today we're looking at a guy who came to a point in his life where he thought, man, it's time for me to get out of the game, hang up the shoes. Guy's name was Peter. A couple facts you need to know about a guy named Peter. His original name was not Peter. His original name was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. Peter comes from the Greek word Petros that means rock. So his name was Rocky or The Rock. Now, little, little, this is a little Bible trivia. I love this stuff so much. His real name was Simon Bar-Jonah, and Bar-Jonah means son of John. So think about this. If Peter were alive today, we would call him The Rock Johnson. That's what we would call him, okay? This, and I want you to get this picture. Now, Peter, think about this. This, this dude was a professional fisherman, so I want you to think big, broad shoulders, calloused hands, ruggedly handsome outdoor face, rugged and ripped. Think of like Mike Bro with sandals on is what we got there, you know? Now, and the thing about Peter that was really interesting, I hope he sees that, what uh, was really interesting is uh, he, this guy had a huge calling in the kingdom of God. Jesus changed his name to Peter because he said, hey, I'm calling you Peter because on this rock, you Peter. I will build my church, the entire church that will change the world in my name. That's going to be because of your ministry and your calling. That's your place in the game. Now, what was really interesting is the guy who had the greatest calling also had the greatest failure. I'm going to give you a couple facts now, you're going to need in about five minutes. So bookmark this in your head. On the night of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter was taken to—it was outside of Caiaphas's house. Caiaphas was a high priest. Uh, Jesus was inside at the trial. Peter was outside around, I'm coming back to this, around a charcoal fire. Bookmark that in your head. Charcoal fire. And while he sat around that charcoal fire, all these people, they heard his accent, and they were like, hey, bro, are you with that Jesus guy that we all hate? And he denied even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, thrice. Thrice. Three times he was just like, I don't even know that guy, hate him. The Bible says he called down curses on Jesus. As soon as that happened, Jesus, through his bloody, beaten eyes, looked through the trial room, through the courtyard, over the fire, and locked eyes with Peter as a rooster crowed. And in that moment, moment Peter internalized his greatest failure, denied his Lord and his calling. Now, right after that, there's something that Peter said a lot of people miss. I, I want to I show you this. Now, dudes, men in the room, if you're looking for like a Bible verse to memorize, something to put up in your house, something you want to tattoo on your shoulder, this is a great one right here. Peter said this. He said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it, man. Yeah, there's your verse right there. It's, you, babe, it's in the Bible. I'm going fishing. But, but what you got to remember is when Peter said that, he wasn't, it wasn't about recreation for him. It was about occupation. Peter was going, I failed, I blew it in my calling, so I guess I gotta go back to that thing I was doing before. By the way, this is free. Whenever you fail in your calling, whenever you sin, whenever you fall into a moral failure or a temptation, your temptation is gonna be to go back to do the the lifestyle that you were doing before, but you listen to me. You don't have to do the things you used to do, because in Christ you're not the person you used to be. And Peter in that moment, that was his temptation. He's like, man, I guess I blew it so big, I just got to go back to what I used to do before. Now, what we're going to learn today is, here's what we're going to learn. The Bible shows us what we can do uh, when we fail. How can we learn from our failures and actually leverage them to be used greatly by God in a way that otherwise we might not have been? So we're going to look at at these lessons real quick, and here's where we're going. We're going to let, man, why do failures happen? What do you do when you fail? The Bible's going to show us this. And then this is the best part of all. I love it so much. What what does God do when we fail? Okay, all right, here we go. So let's get at it. We got to move pretty quick here. All right, number one, what causes failure? Number one, you just have to understand this. One of the major reasons we fail is that, here it is, is is we overestimate our strengths. It's one of the biggest reasons we fail. In fact, this is why Peter failed. Did you know this? Jesus actually forecast to Peter, he's like, bro, you are going to fail. Let me give you a heads up so you got your guard up. And, and watch what happened. This is what I said. So Jesus told them, tonight, all of you, he said to his disciples, you're all going to desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now watch what Peter says. Peter goes, no way. Even if everybody else deserts you, not me. I'm strong. I'm committed. My faith is strong. You know, I've got courage. Never. And then Jesus gently warns him again, hey, actually it can happen. And watch Peter doubles down. Check this out. Jesus replied, i tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter says, no, he insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, ever deny you. See, we fail. Peter failed. We fail, guys, because we overestimate our strengths. Can I just say something to you? Wherever in your life you think you're strongest, that's where you're most susceptible to failure, because that's where you'll let your guard down. Okay, I'm a pastor. I'm also a leader. Can I just give you a little perspective really quick? Many businesses fail not because they were weak, but because they overestimated their strengths and they got complacent. Many many armies got defeated, not because they were weak, but because they overestimated their strength and they didn't bring enough forces to the battle. Uh, Many students flunked tests that they otherwise would have passed, not because they were weak, but because they overestimated their strength and they didn't give it the preparation necessary. Many marriages fail because somebody in the marriage overestimated their strength. I'd never have an affair. I would never get, get into an emotional entanglement with a, with a coworker. That would never happen to me on a business trip. No way I would do that. Guys, listen pride comes before a fall. And you fail many times because you overestimate your strength. Now, let me give you an example of this just to make this very vivid. Okay. Where are all my people at who at one time owned one of these? Where are you at? Where, where are my people at? All right. Listen, listen. Everybody, hold them up. by look around. Man, God bless America. I like y'all so much, man. This is awesome. Now, no shame at all. No shame at all. In, in fact, you're gonna help me help me illustrate something real quick. Uh, at all of our campuses, wh- where are people at who you never owned one of these? Where, where are you at? Raise them high, loud, proud. That's awesome, man. That's all. Okay, actually a lot more. The entire White Rock campus just raised their hands. Y'all don't even know what that is, okay? Well, let, me, let me explain this real quick. Yeah, let me explain this. So <clears throat> there's a certain age point here because at one time Blockbuster Video was the monopoly, you know, organization on video rental in America. No, totally impervious. Nobody could touch Blockbuster Video, okay? Now, um, fun story... In the year 2000, the CEO of this fledgling, wild uh, wild hair idea, company that probably would never work or take off, little company called Netflix. The CEO of that company, Reed Hastings, wasn't sure that his business model was scalable, and so he came to the CEO of Blockbuster in the year 2000 and offered to sell Netflix to Blockbuster for $50 million. Now, some of you are like, $50 million, that's a lot of money. Just wait. Just wait. He offered to sell for $50 million. Now what's funny about that is the, the CEOs of Blockbuster, they took Netflix so unseriously they didn't even meet in person with Reed Hastings. And I want to get this quote right. When they heard about the offer, they quote, struggled not to laugh at Netflix because there was no way this stupid little company would ever take off, okay? now. Fast forward 10 years, this is why some of you have never seen one of those things before. Fast forward 10 years, and Netflix put Blockbuster out of business and reached a net worth of $32 billion. Okay, whoopsie, (laughs) whoops. Okay, now, Harvard Business Review, they kind of study this and went, man, why is it that some of the businesses that— by the way, and can I just say this, if you're part of our church staff, why is it that some businesses— and churches that are the most fruitful, the most successful end up failing the hardest. Do you know why? Watch this. They call it the, de- they call it the, the success death spiral. Here's why. It goes in three stages. Number one, because success breeds pride. We're strong, man. We don't got to take this little threat seriously. We're doing fine. Yeah, they're growing, but our thing has always worked. We don't, we don't need to be on point, on edge. Success breeds pride. And watch this, pride breeds complacency. We're fine. Everything's fine. But then watch this. Complacency always breeds failure, which is why failure, nothing fails like success. Nothing fails like success. Success breeds pride. Pride breeds complacency. Complacency breeds failure. Nothing fails like success. And what's true for a business is true for a person. Exactly at that spot when you are most overconfident is where you are most susceptible to failure. There's an apocryphal story of uh, Muhammad Ali, a guy known for incredible confidence and an incredibly quick wit. He was on an airplane one time and uh, and the little fastened seatbelt light came on. And a young female flight attendant noticed he didn't have his seatbelt on. And so she just said, um, sir, can you please buckle your seatbelt? And he flashed a big old smile at her and he just fired right back. He said, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. To which she fired right back, Superman, don't need no airplane either. Okay, you see that? See, see, pride always comes before a fall, that's why 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it just says like this, therefore, let anybody who thinks that he stands, who thinks that he's strong, that I, I couldn't, I'm fine, take heed lest he fall. Guys, the three most dangerous words in the English language are, I got this. Get this deep in your spirit right now. Given the right situation, I am, I am capable of any sin. Given the right situation, I'm capable of anything. That's why you got to wake up every day and you got to say, God, man, I, I need you today. Man, without—with you, there's nothing good that I can't accomplish in your strength. But God, without you, there's nothing bad that I'm incapable of on my own. God, fill me with your Spirit. Speak to me in your Word. Commission me in your calling. I'm clinging close to you, Lord, because I'm weak and I'm going to depend on you who are strong. That's number one. So, we over, we fail because we overestimate our, our strength, but watch this, number two. The other reason we we commonly fail is because we fear the disapproval of others. We fear—now, let me say something and then illustrate it. Every time you make a decision based on what other people will think about you, you are sowing the seeds for future failure in your life. Here's why. Because someday what people want you to do will be the wrong thing. Guys, you just, you know, as a pastor, there are two reasons that people absolutely jack up their lives constantly. Here are the two major reasons. They want to keep up with the Joneses, and they want to fit in with the Joneses. I got to keep up with the Joneses. I want to fit in with the Joneses. Keep up with the Joneses. I got to buy all the stuff, fit in with the Joneses. I just got to go along to get along. Can I just say something? Y'all, y'all you, don't need to, you don't need to keep up with the Joneses or fit in with the Joneses. The Joneses are going to hell. Okay? Now, let me just say this. If your last name is Jones— would you please surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Would you? That'd be awesome, okay? Hey. But those are men that are like, man, a lot of times you're trying to keep up with and fit in with people that are going somewhere, you don't want to go. So listen, man, you gotta get this deep in your spirit. You'll fail because you fear the disapproval of people. This is what happened to Peter. Now we all know this, obvious. The reason Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times is because he was afraid. He was afraid of what all these people would think about and do to him. But there's something you've probably never noticed in this passage before. Watch what it says happened uh, when Peter feared the disapproval of people. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But watch this. But Peter followed him at a distance. Can I ask you a question? Are you following Jesus but at a distance? When you begin to fear the disapproval of people, you will always begin to follow Jesus at a distance. It looks like this. You're following him, but you're going, yeah, I'm following him, but I don't want to get too close. I don't want to be a radical. I don't want to be one of those nutcases. I don't want to be a fanatic. I'll do it. I just don't want to take it too far. Everything in moderation. If you fear the approval of people, you'll follow Jesus at a distance. But here's why. Because you care more about their opinion than God's opinion. And that's a cliff that you will eventually walk off. Can I just be really honest? The the younger you are, the more susceptible you are to this temptation. And can I show you something? I know this from very personal experience. Do you know what your life ends up feeling and looking like if you live for the approval of people? Here's what it looks like. Your whole life looks like this. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do they like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like my hair? What about my hair? It could be longer, it could be shorter. Do you like it? What about my hair? I didn't get any comments on my hair today. Do you like how I do my hair? I could put stuff in my hair. I could not put stuff in my hair. People are doing the hard part thing if they're dudes. Do you like it when I do that or do you not like when I do that? Do you want to do that? Do you like my hair? You don't like it? I can change it. What about my jeans? Do you like my jeans? My jeans could be looser. My jeans could be tighter. My jeans are tight enough. You can do My jeans. What about my jeans? Do you like jeans? Do you like this? Do you like the brand name that I got on my jeans? Do you like them? I could buy other jeans. What do you guys like? I'll buy whatever you think is cool, and you make comments about, do you like tighter, looser? People are doing the mom jeans thing again. I could do that. you doing that. What about the flare at the bottom? I could cuff them. What do you want? That embroidery on the side. What do you want me to do? Do you like my jeans? I just want you to like me. Do you like my Instagram post? I worked really, really hard on this caption. Do you like my Instagram post? Yeah, I liked your Instagram post. Why didn't you like my Instagram post? Your Instagram post had 172 likes, and mine only had 68 likes. I don't understand. I work so hard on it. I follow you. Why don't you follow me? Will you please? Do you like my Instagram post? Hey, 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 bro, I texted you. Do you like me? I texted you. You haven't texted me back. It's been 17 minutes since I texted you. You haven't texted me back. It's been, I literally like 17 minutes. And when I texted you, there were bubbles. There immediately popped up bubbles, and the bubbles are gone. What happened to the bubbles? Do you not like me? Why don't you like me? What would you? What I need you to like me. You like me. Do you like me? Do you like me? Oh, hey, 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 hey. Do you like it when I support that cause? Oh, you don't like people who support that cause. Okay, I won't support that cause. Oh, you only like people who support that cause. Okay, I'll support that cause. I'll fly that flag. I'll post that hashtag. What do you need me to do? Do you like me? I'll do whatever you like. Do you like me? Do you? Oh, oh wait do you like that I'm a Christian? Do you, do you like that? Do you, oh, 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 you don't like that I'm a Christian? You, you don't like, you don't like, well, I don't have to be a Christian all the time. I can just be kind of a Christian some of the time. Do you like me? I can just keep it on the way. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you? And all of a sudden, you're following Jesus at a distance. So, yes, you got to settle this deep in your spirit. Whose opinion matters more to you, people's or God's? and you got to figure this out deep in your spirit right now. Whose disapproval do you fear more, people's or God's? Can I just tell you something, man? Like, let me be really honest, man. There's a few lessons I've learned, some hard, some easy, from pastoring large churches and and, and leading larger groups of people. Can I just just tell you one lesson I've learned Lo, these many years of talking to large groups of people? Can I just tell you something? You can't please everybody. You can't please, no matter what you do, you will never have a 100% approval rating in this life. You can't please everybody, but listen to me, you can please God. You can please God, and that's the only one that matters. So listen, you got to decide right now, am I going to be a person that lives for an audience of one? Now, here's the big question, great, that's what causes it. What do you do when you fail? When the divorce happens that you said was unthinkable? When you fall into the addiction that you promised would never happen to you. When the moral failure takes place, when the career blows up, what do you do when that moment comes? Three things we learned from this this passage. I'm gonna be really practical because a drowning person doesn't need the Greek word for life jacket. They just need you to throw them one. Okay? Here we go. Number one, you you gotta do this. Three steps. You get listen, guys, you gotta grieve the failure. You gotta grieve Peter grieved. The failure. All right? Now, let me, I'm saying this because Christians in general are terrible at this. I mean, and we got Bible verses for why we're terrible at it. So, here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people, they repress their grief. They deny it. Oh, it wasn't that big a deal. You quote Bible verses about, just light momentary affliction, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in me. I'm forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. I'm just, you know, I'm not thinking about it. They repress it. Now, some people, they don't repress it. They suppress their grief. Oh, I'm not going to think about it. Man, I'm I'm fixing my mind on things above. Choose joy. Okay? Now, Peter didn't repress his grief, and he didn't suppress his grief. He expressed his grief. Check, check this out. Oh, watch, actually, it's down here. Matthew 26. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Watch this. And he went out and what? And he went out and wept bitterly. He grieved the failure. Because grief is a painful emotion, but it's a helpful emotion because grief gives you the gift of acceptance. We don't like grief, but listen to me. Here's the truth. With our grief, if you don't let it out, you will act it out. Okay, here's my—if I were to take a can of Coke and shake it up real big, big, tumultuous life situation, and then put that can of Coke in a freezer and close the freezer without opening it, what would happen to that can of Coke? It'd explode. It would explode, and all that energy would come out sideways. Okay, now watch this. If you don't let your grief come out the right way by expressing it, it will come out sideways through failure in your life. And there's a lot of people who the real reason that they had an affair, they fell into, a, into an addiction, they developed a problem with rage or workaholism, those were secondary issues. The real issue was they had undealt with grief and pain that they were not expressing and grieving and all those things, the affair, the addiction, the rage, the workaholism, that was just their drug of choice to distract them from the pain that they would not face. So you've got to grieve the failure. Here's the other thing about this. guys. If you don't grieve failure when it happens, you'll never learn the lessons that God wants to teach you through your failure. See, see some, some of you, here's the deal, you, you started walking with Jesus 22 years ago. But can I be really honest? You are not a 22-year-old Christian. You've been a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Because you never pause and grieve and learn the lessons from the failure that happened in your life, okay? So, number one, you got to grieve the failure, all right? Now, number two, check this out. It's just—this it may sound like a commercial, but it's in the Bible—is you got to let your life group support you. This is what Peter did. Peter let his life group support him. You think about this. When Jesus started his ministry, the first thing he did was he grabbed 12 dudes, formed a life group, and lived his entire life with those 12 dudes. When Peter has this failure in his life, do you know where we find him? On a boat fishing with his life group dudes. That's a great life group activity. Write that down, take that back to your group. you got. To, this is where he finds him. This is, this is where Jesus spent tons of time with his life group. You constantly see Jesus in, in the Bible, uh, on a boat, fishing and taking naps. So fellas, if you wanna be like Jesus, you need to buy a boat, Fish a lot, take a bunch of naps, right? Write that down, pastor said so, okay? This is what, this is what it is. You, you see this right here, man, is this is where Peter, it, it, uh, he's with his life group that supports him. Now, now listen, when you go through major failure or loss, you got to resist the urge to isolate yourself. Because here's what happens, you lose your job or you have a moral failure, your tendency is to want to stay away from people because I'd be embarrassed if they found out. And you'll, t- you'll trick yourself. You say, man, I'm practicing the spiritual discipline of solitude. Ah, Wrong. False. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is when you get alone to hear God talk truth to you. Isolation is when you start talking to yourself and everything you say is a lie. You see, you don't—when you get into a a failure, you don't need to tell everybody, but you do need to tell a few people, and here's why. Because when you share a burden with your life group, you cut the weight of it in half. Twice as many people are helping you hold it up. But when you share a joy with your life group, you you double it, because twice as many people are celebrating with you. Now now listen to me. Here's what's really important. Guess when the time is to develop this support system in your life. The best time to build the support network in your life is before the crisis happens. You need this before the crisis happens. So the most spiritual thing some of you could do right now is right now just pause and text the word group to the number 20411 to begin to get in a life group that can walk with you when these times come in your life. Now, here's a third thing that you got to do. The third thing that Peter does is he casts himself on God's mercy. Okay, I, I love this so much, Cast himself on God's mercy. All right, now, here, I'm going to show you some things in this passage. This is like blow your mind stuff in, in, in this passage, stuff you, you never noticed before. So you got to track with me. I'm going to move pretty quick, okay? Check out what Peter does in this encounter uh, with Jesus in John 21. So here's what it says, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. So he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Which, by the way, that's a terrible question to ask a fisherman. If I caught something, I would have told you, bro. Now, don't ask, I would have said something if I caught it. So don't, you know, if, you, if you're asking, you already know the answer. No, they answered. Well, then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, really quick, remember, they, we missed this. These dudes are professional fishermen of decades. And some rando on the shore is going, did you try the net on the other side? Okay, it's very pedantic. So it's kind of like two dudes walking home from the high school football game. And like some some mom is like, hey, how'd the game go? It was terrible. We got blown out 63 to zero. And she's like, you should try some passes next time. That'd be great. This is what it would have felt like for some random guy to go, did you throw it on the other side? Okay, now, but watch this. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of of fish. Now watch this. The disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, in the gospel of John, that's what John calls himself. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was something going on there. We'll talk about that later. Okay, pride, whatever it is. Uh, Therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, let me ask you this question. Why in that moment did John know that's Jesus? Check this out, man. This is, is amazing. He knew it was Jesus because three years earlier, when Jesus first called Peter and John to ministry, they were out on a boat and some dude they'd never seen before, Jesus, called out to him, hey, y'all caught anything yet? And they said, no. And three years earlier, he said, hey, you guys should try the other side. And this exact same thing happened. They threw their nets on the other side and they caught so many fish, the net started to break. Do you realize what Jesus is doing? After Peter failed and he thought his calling was over, Jesus is taking Peter back to the moment of his calling. And he's going straight back to that moment. Now watch what happens. I love this so much. (laughs) It's one of these like raw moments of the Bible. So Peter realizes what's going on. Now check this out. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. I don't know why he was fishing buck naked. He was doing that. So then he goes, hey man, but, but watch this. He's so overcome with emotion, he's not thinking anymore. So he puts his clothes on and then he jumps in the water. So he jumps in. And then I love this so much. He starts swimming, but then verse eight says, the other disciples came in the boat. One of the other gospels, tells us the boat reached the shore before Peter. So this is awesome. Peter puts on his clothes, jumps in the water, starts swimming. All the other apostles are like, bro, you could have just stayed with us. Like we're all going to the same place, man. They beat him there to the shore. And that's where he's right there. And then it says, the other disciples came to the boat, uh, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Now, let me just tell you this. When I betray somebody in a relationship, my temptation is I want to avoid them. But Peter launches himself towards Jesus with everything he has. Do you know why? Because Peter knows that Jesus Christ is mercy embodied. He knows that he loves to pour out mercy, that his favorite thing is to forgive failures, to redeem mistakes, to forgive sins. So he launches himself towards Jesus. Every now and then, like, oh, I'll hear somebody say something like this: I'll go, hey, Josh, I could never believe in a God that sends people to hell. My response is always the same. I'm like, oh man, you got the wrong God. That's not my God. My God does everything in his power to keep you from going to hell. Actually, like my God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that nobody would have to go there. In fact, the Bible says that God is willing that none should perish, but that everyone should come to a knowledge of the truth. So my God loves you so much that he's going, if you want to go to hell, you're going to have to step over my dead body to get there. That's how much Jesus loves you. Jesus is mercy embodied. And so Peter's like, he's hurling himself towards Jesus. And listen to me, guys. This is not to say that sin's not a big deal. Sin is a big deal, it's a really big deal. It's such a big deal, the Bible says that every sin deserves to be punished by death. And it was, the death of Jesus Christ on a cross. Sin is a big deal, and yet, simultaneously, no matter how grand your sin is, it pales in comparison to the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross and His ability to forgive every sin you've ever committed. So listen to me, man, this is not permission to stay in your sin. In fact, when you understand that Jesus was crucified for your sin, you, want, you are changed on the inside so that you want to get out of it because you understand, I don't got to do the things I used to do before because in Christ I'm not the person I used to be before. So G- Peter, he casts himself on the mercy of God. Do you guys know what this looks like? Some of you, I'm preaching to people who the divorce happened this week or the kid left home and left the faith this week. Or the career blew up, or the bankruptcy happened this week. Do you know what it sounds like to cast yourself in the mercy of God? It sounds like this. You say something like this, you say, God, I can't believe it, but I blew it. <laughs> I did. I totally did exactly what you said not to do. And actually, I did it for like the thousandth time. And so, God, like, I'm just saying, like, I need a fresh start. <laughs> I don't deserve it, God, I haven't earned it, nothing I've done could make me worthy of it. But your Word says that you're loving and that you love to show mercy, and so God, I'm just asking you to do what you love to do. Would you please give me a fresh start?" And every time God's answer is yes. Every single time. Watch this, I love this so much. Watch what Jesus does uh, when Peter casts himself on his mercy. All right, now, I told you at the very beginning of this sermon. To bookmark the words charcoal fire in your head, all right? So check this out, all right? When Peter, when Jesus comes back to Peter in John 21, check this out in John 21 9, they get to the shore and it says this, when they got out on land, they saw a, there it is again, a charcoal fire in place. Now, I want to illustrate this real quick. They saw a charcoal fire in place. Now, there are only two places in the Bible where a charcoal fire is mentioned. One of them is when Peter denies Jesus. This is the second time. Only two mentions in the entire Bible. Now, you got to understand some things. One, you got to understand that the Sea of Galilee was 75 miles away from where Jesus was crucified and where Peter denied him. So, number one, Jesus walked 75 miles just to come find Peter, all right? So then Jesus finds Peter, and he's fishing on the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee wasn't a sea, it was actually a lake. So Jesus finds Peter at this point on a lake. He finds Peter at the lake point. Okay? And he finds him right there, and he takes him right back to a charcoal fire, the exact place of Peter's greatest failure where Peter had denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And P- Jesus starts asking Peter questions. He goes, hey, Peter, over the charcoal fire, he goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Get back in the game. More ministry for you to do. And Peter says, he said, okay, yeah, yeah. Jesus asked Peter a second time, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, Lord, you know that I love you? Yeah. And he says again, then feed my sheep. A third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And I think it's in that moment that Peter goes, okay, okay, okay. I see what we're doing here. I denied you three times. And that was the failure that I thought took me out of ministry. And now you're asking me this question three times and you're reinstating me into ministry. Do you know why why Jesus did that? You know how like when you're on a fire, there's this smell. And you know how smell can just like take you back in a second? If I smell old plywood, I am back in the attic of my grandfather's farm in upstate New York, just like that. Um, if I smell molasses, I'm at grandma Howardson's house, she's cooking cookies on Christmas morning. And Jesus did not want Peter for the rest of his life, every time he smelled the smell of a charcoal fire to associate it with his greatest failure. He wanted him to smell it and remember Jesus' eyes telling him, you're still in it. I'm redeeming this thing for you. Your game's not over. And what he was saying to Peter is he's going, hey, Peter, I'm going to take the moment of your greatest mess. I'm going to turn that into your message. I'm going to take your trial. That's going to become your testimony. And the place of your deepest misery, that's going to be the place of your greatest ministry. So he was saying, hey, Peter, let's get back out there. And you tell everybody everywhere that I can forgive anybody and redeem anything. It's not over. It's not time to hang them up. Peter, get back out there and lace them up. I still got a purpose and a calling on your life. Now, listen, that's true for you. For you, some of you, what God's going to do is He's going to take your mess and make it your message. He's going to take your trial and make it your testimony. He's going to take your deepest misery and make that the thing that is your greatest ministry because if you cast yourself on the mercy of God, He will always give you a fresh start. And so here's what I'm asking right now. I'm I'm asking you to like to do that casting today. And so right now um, at all of our campuses, would you just pray with me, please? And right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And Heavenly Father, um, I'm asking right now, That you would meet people in their places of greatest failure and misery, and that you would remind them that you would supplant their disgrace and replace it with grace. And that all those failures, they would no longer be triggers to remember their shame, but that every time that failure comes back to their head, it would be a trigger to remind them of the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. That your redemption has happened. And that they do have a hope in a future. So God, would you please do it and commission your people in power uh, for great ministry, for the, the name and the fame of the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our Church Online Live Weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.